When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The guests on Knocking Doors Down are sharing their stories and helping start the conversation about mental health and therefore are working to end the stigma. This is the goal of our partner, the Carlos Vieira Foundation, through their Race to End the Stigma campaign. The Carlos Vieira Foundation created the Race to End the Stigma campaign to not only change the way people perceive those who are living with mental illness, but also how those who are affected perceive themselves. The Carlos Vieira Foundation strives to support the mental health community through education, fundraising, and facilities facilitating resources. The main program through the Race to End the Stigma campaign is a college scholarship program that encourages high school seniors to share their stories about mental health in an effort to end the stigma. For more info on this and how to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I had resentments against my whole family. I'm like, I'm going to get rich and famous skateboarding and then I'm going to show them, you know, mm. and and then, you know, that all happened and then obviously that doesn't fix the real underlying problems. And then they came out in different ways through drugs and alcohol and acting out. And this is the knocking doors down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. This is Knocking Doors Down. Your host, Jason here with you. My guest, Brandon Turner. If you don't know that name, maybe you know Little B. Yep, professional skateboarder. Brandon, of course, was a youth prodigy in skateboarding and eventually fell to substance abuse. We talk about how he turned his life around, what he's doing now, and what he's grateful for, and how he's living a purposeful life. And hey, while you're checking Knocking Doors Down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. Right now, I am wearing my new 5150 hat, warm weather jacket. As well, I got my new 5150 joggers on that I like to wear around the winter time. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And of course, I said it helps within the community. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the Race to End the Stigma, which focuses on mental health, the race for autism, helping families in the community who have children that have special needs and are on the autism spectrum scale, and the race to be drug-free, providing free after-school athletic programs to the youth within our community 
keeping them off the streets, away from gangs and drugs. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. Join me on the Knocking Doors Down podcast. Brandon Turner, what is going on, good sir? Hey, how's it going, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. My former co-host, Mikey, who's a huge fan of yours, he wanted me to tell you this, Brandon. He said, uh, tell him that uh, his switch hard flip down Carlsbad was epic. And that's the moment he realized he would never be a pro skater. Oh, man. (laughs) Much love, Mikey. Uh, Sorry, couldn't uh, have you, you know, here too. But uh, much love and I I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, but as far as skateboarding... um, what I would say to that is no matter what you see, it's none of your business and it has nothing to do with you if you want to keep progressing. Yeah, that's a good point for anything in life, right? Yeah, what everyone else does, don't 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 ever let it discourage you. And uh, everybody has their own style and way of, of uh, expressing their art. And whether that's in sports, like physically, spiritually, or mentally, um, I would get influenced by other people, but only to... Uh, to get on your own trajectory and uh, path, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Brandon, I like to start my conversations with uh, with gratitude. So uh, what's the uh, three things you're grateful for today? I'm grateful for um, waking up today, first and foremost, because, um, you know, we, we take a lot of things for granted. And, you know, you're really not promised tomorrow. So um, just being able to wake up today um have a fresh start on this monday be able to be able to you know get up and 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 start fresh you know and um i'm thankful for uh my recovery community and um i'm thankful for um you know being able to have uh, my 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 new venture which is a uh, west side recovery and um have my own facility and that's real huge to me and Every day I wake up, I'm I'm super grateful for that. But just the the I keep it basic, and then as I go into my day and I start meditation, you know, and I do a gratitude list, I'll I'll extend on that. Yeah. So, what are those morning practices for you? Because I've been um, I've been doing a little bit better job. I kind of you know through my recovery, Brandon, realized I've never identified having like a, a severe anxiety disorder. So I've had to start doing some different routines that I've learned from people with more knowledge and time. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of, what kind of is Brandon Turner, you know, your eyes open up and you know, your approach to the morning. Well, I wake up and um, sometimes, you know, sometimes we just, uh, I don't, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but just um, seeing, you know, and, and, and just seeing like people and how they usually start their day. Sometimes you just wake up like, as say, like the wrong side of the bed, and um, and you might just be feeling like self doubt, feeling bad about yourself, feeling this. Oh, I need to be doing this. I, 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 and um, you know, you start like you start off your day with living in the ego, you know. So when I wake up, I, I, I try to start with that that gratitude list in my head right away like hey i'm thankful for being able to wake up even if i didn't get enough go to sleep at the time i wanted to last night and i feel all groggy like i'm grateful for another day and then um you know i'll wake up and do the normal stuff brush my teeth and stuff and um i'll I'll get a good stretch in to uh get the blood flowing for the day and just kind of get a head change and then 
um, I'll go into a meditation, like 10 minute meditation. And then um, I'll get up and uh, have breakfast and stuff and, and then go on about my day. And I believe like eating in the morning is the most, is one of the most important things to, to, to have a productive day. Yeah. Cause you know, that absence of, of nutrients, it, you know, I don't know if you dealt with this through your recovery, but that, that you know, that, that, uh, halt, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, those four kind of triggers for certain things. And, you know, leaving that absence of nutrition there. I mean, you know, we get some hangry attitudes at times, man. Yeah. It's like irritable, restless, and discontent. You got to pay attention to those three, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, let me ask you though, you said something. And, and when we talked to Andy Roy, when, when Mikey was still my co-host here on the show, he mm -hmm. too premised uh, skateboarding as an art, not a sport. How do you kind of look at it? Well, from where we're at now, I mean, it is technically a sport because it's, it's being, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's being competed at that level with the Olympics and everything. But in my heart and in my feeling like skateboarding is a more of a art, a form of expression. And nowadays people might look at it as like just a sport or a job or, or, or whatever it is. And I've had to do all three things, but where, I, where I'm most content is to where it started. And, um, just a, as an art form, a form of expression, a healthy release of, of endorphins, a, a good outlet. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting how you can, I don't know, different athletes from different, you know, genres of athleticism when you talk to him. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, like Michael Jordan talking about like, yeah, I can score two points or I can, you know, have a dunk in a way that, you know, it's, it's like poetry in motion and there's a greater impact to that. So it's pretty, it's interesting how, you know, athletes, because I do consider you an athlete and many other skateboarders, I mean, just in amazing conditioning, especially nowadays, I think so many people are getting more switched on. Um, but that there is some art form in the delivery of what you do, you know? Yeah, it's, um, I would just say it in these simple words. It's, uh, it's not what you do. It's how you do it. Yeah. And that's going back to your friend who was saying that after he's seen that trick, he was just, you know, done. And it's, uh, it doesn't really matter how, how good you are, good, how good you think you are, because for one skateboarding is infinite. It's, there's no way you can do every trick ever. And, um, everyone has their own expressions, the way they dress, their style, the way they do their tricks. And that's, what's beautiful about it. Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, let's dig into a little bit more. I kind of want to know, you know, I hadn't heard too many conversations you kind of talking about, you know, little Brandon and and really where the skateboarding developed because you you moved around a lot as a kid, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. My dad got stationed in Japan when I was six in the military after the Gulf War. And um, so we moved to Japan and like right away, I got engulfed into the Japanese society community and I skated before then, but that's when, that's where my real roots were, were seated was in Japan and my family that I developed over there and the culture and all that. I'll be damned. I didn't realize because I've been to Japan. I was there for, I think it was almost three weeks and, you know, beautiful people and just a wonderful place. But I wasn't aware there was any skate culture at any time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like in the 90s, early 90s, like you just had to know or you didn't know. And uh, I think uh, skating in Japan kind of went up and down, you know, mm-hmm. up and down. And if it's uh, especially now with the Olympics and stuff, it's really accept it now so a lot of more skaters are coming out of the woodwork and in japan when i was growing up there like the best skateboarders i ever seen were in japan so i was just waiting for this 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 cycle to come yeah it's it's interesting to think about japan because when i went there you know, and you living there, like everyone is that I encountered was incredibly respectful, respectful of other people's space. And I I just, it's hard for me to kind of picture in Japan, you know, kind of what I've seen with the LA scene. And I grew up near Santa Cruz, California, you know, skaters, yeah. you know, skaters hitting every like public landmark. And, you know, it's like, oh, can I rail that? Okay, I can. I'm going to. And I just find it hard to to like picture that going on in Japan. Yeah, it's uh, you just got to maneuver like skateboarding, just maneuvering, being able to adapt to your environment. So it's uh, it's forever changing. So in Japan, it's interesting, especially with the cultural aspect in um you know, the honorary system in Japan. So yeah. it's, uh, you, you know, early on, you might've been looked down for, for skating in Japan by like the elders and stuff, but it just, people just take time to really understand the art craft. Uh, so let's, let's kind of talk in some of the, the, the positives and negatives of the skateboard culture that you experienced. Cause like I said, we had talked with Andy Roy, you know, and he grew up, uh, right around where I did. It's funny. We were laughing like we could have been in the same place at the same time. Um, but people like Andrew Reynolds as well talking about, you know, going through that drug culture. There was a lot of the the videos that were put out that a lot of us watched where it was like, if you weren't messed up, it, you know, you weren't skating, so to speak. So how did you, because you got in, how was 16 when you kind of started skating professionally or heading that direction? 14, um, 14. I first, my, my first sponsor. So at first 14 to 16, it wasn't really about that. You know, like for me, my team, we were just working, getting to it. But when I got signed by bigger companies like shorties and stuff, like it was the perfect timing where it was kind of uh, marketed to be, you know, like this rock star lifestyle and just kind of having fun, you know, uh, 
bridging skateboarding and having fun together and marketing that also with the fashion and our lifestyle. So I wouldn't say it was just like all negative because it was, I had the best times ever, but you know, eventually later, um, for myself, my own boundaries and my own, own trauma that I went through and stuff, I wasn't able to, you know, drink responsibly or experiment and leave it alone, you know? So do you mind touching on some of those areas of trauma? It's interesting that you, to me, that you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, I had childhood trauma that wasn't that I never got therapy for or got addressed because really I was in the skate culture. So anything I was struggling with or going through personally, I didn't feel comfortable enough to express that really because Mm -hmm. there was just a stigma of a man gets his stuff together and, and handles his own business and deal with it. You know, um, so I had a childhood trauma just with, um, you know, identity, um, you know, being raised by my grandparents and not knowing because I thought they were my parents and, you know, my, um, my, you know, who I thought were my brothers and sisters or my aunts and uncles. And one of my sisters turned out to be my mom and stuff. And the whole reason why my grandma, my mom decided to do that is because my, she felt that like my mom was unfit to raise me. So she just basically like took me from her and Mm -hmm. I didn't know till I was moving to Japan, like on the plane and found out that and right there, like my whole world got kind of flipped upside down. And I, that's when my trust issues started. Yeah. And, um, I just looked at it like my whole family lied to me of like, you know, what the truth was. And that's why I was able to start skating on a high level because I didn't really have the fear. Me me looking at it now is like I had so much pain that I had bottled inside that the fear of skating didn't exist. It it couldn't amount up to that. So I didn't care if I got hurt. So I was willing to try anything. So in a way that help put me on a different level on an athleticism way because I just didn't have no fear because of that trauma, but it never got dealt with correctly. Mm-hmm. So even though uh, my whole plan was to just like, Hey, I had resentments against my whole family. I'm like, I'm going to get rich and famous skateboarding and then I'm going to show them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, that all happened. And then, obviously that doesn't fix the real underlying problems. And then they came out in different ways through drugs and alcohol and acting out and all of that. Did you ever have a a process of reconciliation with anyone in your family about this and maybe why they, you know, I get it. I get maybe from a standpoint, like, you know, the, the protecting of kids, but, you know, I don't know. My my perspective as a parent is I do the best to educate and be open and honest, and and that's the best method of protection. Um, but were you ever able to like have a conversation with anyone? Yeah, there's plenty of conversations, mostly like heated and frustration and just um, entitlement of like you know, hey, we did this to save you, like you 
would have been this way and that way. And, you know, but they weren't hearing me where, where I was coming from. I felt like, and it just really bothered me. So there's like with my mom and stuff, like I get it now that I'm older, like I'm glad she did that. I've had, I got raised as the only child lived in Japan without them, you know, cause my aunts and uncles were way older than me, you know, which was always weird. You know, I was just the baby, but they were just my aunts and uncles, not my brothers and so sisters. So I was raised as a only child and grew up in Japan and le learned a whole different culture. And, and, um, and it, and it really changed my life for the better. I can see that now, but growing up as a teenager and going through these emotions, I just had big resentments and I had to, without the program of like, going through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and everything, I wouldn't have had the tools to properly deal with these issues I had that were affecting the rest of my life. <laughs> Brandy, I can relate so much, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like, why wasn't there this vulnerability there? I could have handled it, you know, as we were talking before. I grew up in, the, in a home with, with an addict. Come to find out, you know, we had... A multitude of generational trauma on both sides of, of my family and 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 addiction 5150 is a lifestyle we believe in pushing yourself finding your passion knowing your dreams and working hard and always striving to make those dreams your reality we believe life is too short to sit back and say what if go after it grab it and make it happen being 5150 is committing to that long hard road that road you know is going to be tough but the most rewarding that's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. I look back and it's like, yeah, it was unfortunate that I didn't you know, wasn't made more aware of these things because I was a like a weird teenager in that I knew addiction was going on in the home. I knew I had some really internal issues that I was really struggling with, identity and and so many different things. But I was a guy that was a real late bloomer with people or, or with my addiction. People never believed that. Like I didn't really start touching alcohol or anything till like 22, you know? So oh, it's, um, it's, it, yeah, it's kind of a trip of where a lot of this stuff manifests and when it starts to come out. Yeah, it is. And me, it was just early and it started off as uh, fun and just, and it was super fun. I was living my dream, had everything I wanted, but I didn't understand that it was buried. My traumas were buried and I had a lot of issues and they didn't come out till later when I was wasted. And people would be like, what, what's wrong? You know, blacking out and, you know, just acting crazy. But it's because I had underlying like real trauma and it would come out through the alcohol, you know? Oh yeah. I know all too well, man. <laughs> Trust me. I know. You yeah. know? Uh, I don't know about you. I could be a hit or miss. It, it, it was either the phone call. I was sitting and crying and uh, like blubbering my guts out, or I was incredibly angry and neither one of them made sense to the person on the other end answering the phone at that time. Absolutely. Going out, you know, did you ever have to experience just like, you know, waking up and having to apologize to people and all of that and just like, Hey, you know, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. You know, like it's, 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 I'm glad I, I don't have to live like that no more, you know?
Oh, I yes. Uh, yes, and I'm glad I don't have to live that more. In abundance, probably more than I care to count, Brandon, like how many times I had to do that and, and make any apologies and it won't happen again. And, you know, that cunning disease of addiction, you know, I mean, I know you were there too, like, that's the last time I'm doing it. I'm done drinking or I'm done using. <laughs> and oh. then you do the next uh, day. Then in a blackout again. Um, for you, how how long you been in recovery? Uh, five years. And then I, I fell off. It'll be two years, February 15th of next year. So I fell off almost two years ago. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Glad, glad you're back. Thanks. You know? Me yeah. too, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, people, I've had many people go, oh, well, it was just part of your recovery process. And I'm like, no, it's part of the disease of addiction that reared its ugly head. But I learned something from that instance. You know, it was a, it was a night, you know, it was like an isolated incident when that occurred. And, you know, it came back to my boundaries. I was terrible with boundaries. Horrible. Yeah. Making the correct boundaries is just, that's, that's everything, you know, like, uh, like you, you have kids, you know, and it's just, uh, I guess what helped for me is just like, what helped for me with boundaries was just like any situation that I don't feel like I can have, you know, my daughter's 21 now, but if any situation, this is when I was young, I was like any situation that I can't have my baby girl sitting there right there with me, I don't need to be at, mm. you know? Yeah, that's a pretty, I've never thought of it that way. That's, mm -hmm. that's a pretty good way to look at it. Yeah. And how do you being, a, you know, a guy that, you know, you're out, uh, you know, you're in the public eye, you're doing so much work for recovery. And I want to get more into asking you some stuff about that a little later, but, you know, you're, you, you're a famous face and how do you kind of handle that differently now? Maybe with people coming up want a little bit of your time an autograph or, you know, whatever it is. I think it all positive. I obviously, um, you know, with boundaries and managing, managing my time is a big thing, but, um, I feel like I'm more present and I definitely appreciate it more. And I'm able to connect and relate with people on a, on a whole different level, just because with this work and, all the work I've done on myself, it just, it really just helps me to feel more connected and we have amazing community. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's less stressful than it was when I was younger, just kind of feeling uncomfortable in my own skin, being like wasted or not wasted or, you know, on tour and just like kind of having my life, like being successful and, but my whole life is a mess and unmanaged and, and, and just it was managed, but I was unmanaged. It was it was managed by like oh our tour coordinator or you know my my itinerary with the uh, planes that I'd miss all the time or whatever you know. But now nowadays um, I just feel more connected and feel like I have um, something something to bring forward to the table that maybe um, I didn't have before, but. Um, without those past experiences, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had everything I have now. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm, um, doing this work to help people through my experience and hopefully, you know, change some lives or give a different perspective of different people's situations. Yeah. Well, and, and tell me what you think about this is that 
for me one of the one of the greatest joys because well, I actually feel genuine joy now. It's not it's not manufactured. It was you know somebody yeah. didn't deliver it to me through a plant <laughs> or a pill or a drink. Yeah, is like looking in the mirror and being like, I'm good with myself. I, you know, even through hardships, like I, I, I like who I am, and I'm liking myself more every day. Yes, absolutely. And that's a big thing, too. It's just uh, how many times you look at yourself in the mirror and give yourself that self-talk like, you know, hey, I love you. Um, You're doing good. Uh, You know, keep up the hard work like you're amazing. And it might sound weird, but that's that's really important. And that's why I say, like with with meditation, too, it's just uh some people say they can't really meditate. No, I just can't. My mind races and whatever. And sometimes I tell people like, Hey, it's, it would be something good to practice with because if you can't stand yourself for 10 minutes a day, like how could you expect anybody else to, you know, that's a good point. You know what? I'll have to, I'm going to steal that for people when they ask me, cause it's still <laughs> a challenge for me, Brian. I, I do yeah. have that, but you know, I continue to have people reassure me, you know, the more it, it is much like anything else. It's it's the practice of and it's not the guarantee of. And I try to remember that because I'm the wake up and and no one's phrased it for me in the way you did that when you're sitting there and all these things and that's where my brain goes, that that's sitting mm-hmm. in ego. I hadn't thought of it that way, you know, yeah. So, um. So really, without realizing it, you're giving me more encouragement to to stick with it because eventually this practice of uh, meditation or whatever it is, it will start to click more and more. You know, it's no different than learning to skateboard or for me, you know, playing bass guitar or, or acting or all these other things that I've done, you know. Yeah, it just takes time and practice and patience with yourself, you know, and that that's super important i mean meditation is is huge you know it's just you can look at it as praying or whatever but just sitting there being with yourself breathing if you have to count or whatever or count your breaths or i tell some people you know count down from 50 but then count down from 49 then count down from 48 you know like whatever you have to do to just keep yourself there yeah because it and the counting's really a good recommendation because it occupies the mind. It's hard to think of anything else when we're going through a counting procedure. You can try you know, affirmations to yourself, whatever you're feeling in that moment. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to be great today. I'm going to be great today. Like whatever you have to like do, say in your head to like keep you there. Put on your timer for ten minutes and just breathe and and that's that's what it is and it's just the hardest part like people say in the gym the hardest part is getting to the gym you know yeah and and then you can make it happen it's only 10 minutes a day i mean i really encourage everybody to meditations you know the 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 key to the infinite intelligence yeah hey brandon i want to ask you about the uh, the uncomfortable accessory of addiction it's called handcuffs they're they suck um you and i both know this uh, you went 17 months, 18 months that, that you had to serve. <laughs> I went to, I went to prison for, I got sentenced to three years. Um, got a good time. Uh, I did 17 months. 
and and that was a that was a whole a whole experience. And what's so crazy is um, I wouldn't change it for nothing, you know, because it it was a learning experience that was necessary in my journey. Yeah. And what I what I learned from it was that, um, like we said in the beginning of this interview, the uh, gratitude. Uh, I realized I took for granted a lot of things in this life that you know, are, aren't right. They're, they're privileges, you know? And when I got out, just the simple thing, being able to just use the bathroom, like in privacy was huge. You mm. know, I was like, wow, I, I can't, I can't appre- appreciate this bathroom more than anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, when I was reception, you know, I was in uh, solitary confinement for four months going through, just classification before even getting to prison. So 24 hour, 23 hour a day, it's like just in a cell all day long, mostly 24 hour a day. We got yard probably once a week, but I was 24 hours in the cell and like, you have to learn. That's where I first learned um, what programming is mm. and how important that is not in the program of alcoholics anonymous, but just your program, your own CPU, you know, like how, how does your program really work when, without all these distractions, if you have to go to work, you have your kids or your family, how good are you with you in four walls with nothing to do? Uh, how good were you at first? I wanted to, at first I wanted to see the, the, the medical doctor and I wanted to get sleeping pills. Mm. That's what was my first go-to because I was just like, I'm going to be in here for this much time until I get transferred. I'm like, I'd rather just be asleep because that's how horrible it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And then somebody told me I was like trying to slip the the, the, the piece of paper through the, the cell so the guard could walk by and grab it for like a whole day. And uh, my, my uh, somebody said through the walls, through the walls, there's these holes in the walls in the, in the, and it was called ASEC in Chino because it was overcrowded. So that's why I was in solitary confinement. But he said through the wall, and I'll never forget it. And the other cell, he's all, he's all, hey, hey. He's all, let me holler at you. And I'm like, hey, what, what's up, man? I'm trying to get this ducket so I can see the nurse. And, you know, because we would talk through the walls. There's holes through the walls and the vents. And he's all, hey, you take them pills. You're going to come out different. And I was like, and that really stuck with me. And I was just like, oh, wow, I'm not trying to get out of here and be a, a completely different person because you see that. And that's the first time that I was like, yeah, you know, who knows what psych meds I get on and then end up some people will go in there without a mental health issue and go in there and get on some medication that's not managed correctly and get out on and have to be on disability because they're not mentally stable and they've been on this medication for this many years or whatever. When you went in, were you at a point where you were, you're using led to like a, a detox or withdrawal or any of that stuff? When I first went in there, I was withdrawing, but I didn't know I was withdrawing. Oh, so I was part like partying all the time leading up to that and then just got put in there. And I remember people going to medical and being like, they're like, Oh, do you have any drug addiction? Do you have anything? I'd be like, 
people like, I need this. I need this. I can't sleep. I'm shaking. And I was just going, I'm like, no, I'm fine. And then I was in my cell in county jail. Now, what I know now, back then, I couldn't sleep. I was shaking, like, hearing stuff, like, having the tremors. And I was like, wow, I was withdrawing. I could have had a seizure and died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, and I, I've, you know, I've spoken with so many people that uh, a similar kind of circumstance, and some of them's like the most we got was maybe a Tylenol, and some people, you know, the all the other swing, like yeah, I got loaded up with too much stuff. It like almost to the point of kept my addiction going. Thus, I found within the system, you know, who was holding, who could I get whatever f- from, and you know, one dude talking about I've trade my ramen for for. I forget what pills it was, you know, so it was uh, pretty interesting how for you, it was, you, you got that message to almost avoid staying within the system of addiction within incarceration. Yes, absolutely. It's uh it's bananas, yeah, man. It a hard thing. It was a hard thing to do because there's more drugs and stuff in there than there's the streets, I believe. Yeah, that's what I've heard some people say, you know, it's like readily available. Yeah, always. It's just, it's, it's like a whole nother city in there. Yeah. How did you keep it then on the, the straight and narrow and kind of a, avoid it? I mean, you got this one cat that, that communicated that with you, but did that really help with all of a sudden like an intentional living for lack of a better term? Like, no, when <laughs> I get out, I want my life different. Yeah, it was starting to hit me. I definitely just started reading and studying and get my routine. Like what I was saying was programming. I'd wake up in the morning, like have have breakfast, have a little nap, wake up uh, or after that and start and work out and have a full routine. And then I would uh, like bird bath because you couldn't shower. So I would with a cup, I would I would wash my, you know, clean myself in the cell and then kick out the water under the cell and then clean the cell and kind of like get, you know, get clean. And then I'd start reading and then, um, reading, writing, meditating and stuff. And then by dinner, dinner rolls around, you know, we, um, I would eat dinner and then had a little Walkman in there and would, uh, had a, had a porter who had a self, uh, cell phone time. So, you know, I paid for time for that. He slided it under the door. So I, you know, I had to have a whole program inside that cell to keep from going insane. Yeah. I can only mm-hmm. imagine. What was the first big changes for you when you were released? Because you, you, yeah, like you said, you did good time. So you were about, about half your sentence, a little over half your sentence that you served. Yeah. Like a month shy of half of it. And then, um, when I got out, well, what happened is I went to school and went to training for a fire camp. So I got transferred to a fire camp. So I was firefighting and doing that. So I learned a whole lot with that and stuff. So, you know, I I was able to stay in shape and just stay on point and and, and work out and, and plan a lot and read. And that's what I just look at it as is like, I'm going to use this like I'm going to a university. I'm going to yeah. get all the stuff I want to learn and study. And I'm going to, I'm going to do that, make my, my plans for when I get out and stuff. So I just looked at it that, in that positive aspect. 
how did it work for you like leaving the uh the safety of the the you know the 12 step rooms and stuff like that for kind of returning into the world of skateboarding that, that you came from that that was wasn't it was maybe a contributing factor towards your downfall how did you return to it and and want to present you as far as the brand quote unquote brandon turner differently i just changed my narrative from you know being the wild crazy party person to like hey i'm gonna what i'm gonna give back to skateboarding is influencing helping others through my experience and what i've been through and sharing my story and um, helping those who may or may not have had the same struggle struggles day to day. And it took time because it's not overnight. Like you can just, people are going to accept you change. It took like, you know, at least a year for people to even slightly started taking me seriously on this path and journey I was on. But eventually, um, getting back to your question about how I immersed myself back, back in was with uh, boundaries mm-hmm. and boundaries that with myself, with that simple w- rule, you know, like and you can put that in, in any, in, in any perspective, like, Hey, you know, um, if I can't have, if I can't have my mom sitting here with me in any situation, like I don't b- belong there. You know, simple things that uh, nothing good happens after twelve. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to be outside driving around or whatever. I don't. I don't have to be. I don't have to make it to every party and be a people pleaser and be everywhere. Because in the skateboard industry, we just have things going on all the time. So, I just pride, pride, prioritize it with my boundaries and myself and what I have going on and kind of take that inventory to see if it's uh worth me going to or not going to certain things or being around certain people um and putting myself in situations because ultimately anything that happens or doesn't happen is your fault you know it's Mm -hmm. uh it's really a choice so there's been a couple times where i've been in some situations where people have like pulled out drugs and that's I look at it like that's my cue feeling bad about leaving or saying bye to anyone or not I agree I don't freak out and be like whoa hey you got cocaine on the table what are you thinking you know I'm in recovery I'm just like I if I'm not in those situations like that anyways but I'm saying it has happened and even if it's in a public area you know when I see what's going on it's just like then that's my cue to to exit and go yeah unapologetically no yeah not at all i don't say bye to anyone i'm just like yeah i'm gonna head out see ya. i'm like you know, i'll yeah. see y'all later it was tough for me <laughs> tell me if you went through i i had a real tough time with with no period being a sentence and that was enough yeah it's hard because we're people pleasers we want we don't want we want people to like us you know and the thing of it is, is you can't not everybody's gonna like you whether you know it or not you know this is a hard truth. Like you might, you, you might, you, you know, some people who don't like you and you may not know that they don't like you, but everybody's not going to like you. There's people who don't like me who, you know, I probably associate with or whatever. And that's fine because you know what? 
it's none of my business of what you think of me. Exactly. And that's a tough <laughs> lesson. I still struggle. Thanks for sharing, man, that, uh, you know, I'm not alone in that, but, uh, but I've gotten to that point and, and I've started to look at it as a favor. Like you're doing mm -hmm. me a favor, you know, you, you, you've made it clear. I know there's people that follow me on social media or whatever, simply hoping that I fail or to have some trash to talk or whatever it is. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Well, the thing of it is, man, it's just like, um, it's, it's, it's necessary. It has to be that way for anything to work. You know what I mean? Mm. Because if there was no, if there, if, if, if there was no like bad, say for instance, this example, then there'd be no good. So if there's only just good, you wouldn't even know what good is. Yeah. So if there has to be the both, it's necessary. So yeah. you can appreciate the good. Yeah. Yeah. We can't have Luke Skywalker without Darth Vader, right? Absolutely. Because then it would just, it, it's, that's just like life. That's, that's nature. That's, uh, that's like physics. That's just what it is, you know? Yeah. So to be obsessed on what, who likes you and who doesn't like you or, or this, that, and the other, that's just kind of insane because there's no way you can have it your way just all good all the time because the other aspect has to exist for you to be able to experience sad or happiness or anything. Yeah. The gambit of life as is, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, tell me about the, the recovery center and, and why you decided to get into that area of work. Well, because like I was explaining, it was super difficult for me to ask for help or even to know that was help or that. I was under the delusion that nobody really would understand what I've been through as an individual and my unique circumstances of, of what happened in my life. And I just didn't think that sounds crazy to me saying it, but I just didn't think that nobody could relate to that. Or I thought for sure, nobody's been through this messed up situation. It's only happened to me. So I wanted to open up my own facility so I can bring like a, a diverse approach to therapy, um, including with the traditional, you know, group therapy and um, psychiatrists and and case managers and all that. I just wanted to bring something that people can relate to, like you know, the skating program, yoga, Pilates, and um, music program and art and stuff so people who because artists and creators sometimes just don't feel like they can relate to just therapists because there's no back and forth it's just kind of like how are you how are you doing and why do you feel that way and how do you feel that way and what makes you what what do you think about when you there's no there's no uh i think it's just like kind of how they're trained to um you know some therapists too do relate or, but not to share about them themselves. I found a lot of power in that through, through group work. And I don't just mean, you know, like an anonymous group setting, but actual where there's some really good crosstalk and, and people giving each other, each other, you know, one another's perspective and support and, and even questions, you know, that that's where some of the most powerful work for me especially as of late, has really started to, uh, I've seen the benefits of it. 
it's the relatability and that's why that's why i wanted to open up my own facility i've been to a program before and it was really good stuff there's a super good facilitator and i learned a lot there but i wasn't there yet i didn't believe i needed to be sober yet i just thought it was some good information so i can have other resources not to get into trouble and um i just missed the whole point and stuff so i was thinking to myself like this can evolve and i feel like i can bring something huge to this table with people who struggle to reaching out to get help i felt like not only the skate board community but just people in life like hey i've been to prison i've been through all these different things had it all not had it all um and had these traumatic experiences and anxiety and family stuff problems with drugs just everything to where i felt i've went through my journey enough to where i feel like i can almost relate with anybody and and get on their level their level or them on my level to uh, give them the help they need. Absolutely. Uh, Brandon, before we get to uh, random questions and I leave you with the final thought, if people want to know more about, about your facility, the work you're doing, uh, how can they find that? And we'll include the link in the description. Yes, please. Uh, my Instagram is B is in boy Turner underscore. Um, if you want to check out the website for West side recovery, it's West side recovery sd.com and um, for mental health um, it's uh, mhc san diego.com all right cool man i'm proud of you and i'm proud that you're you know using the this your life experience as well as your you know your platform to be able to uh to give back and really help a lot of others with your story. And we didn't even get into the work that you're doing when you go and talk to the youth and the skateboarding, yeah. you know, work with the youth and all that. So, so maybe down the line, we'll get a round two or something in there, but, uh, Hi, man, I'm down dude, and I appreciate you having me. And, um, another, you know, person in recovery too, doing what you're doing creatively and living in your power. And of course I know having a podcast and everything and, you see comments or not comments or everything, but uh, anytime I get negative comments from anybody, I just, you know, keep it all. I just keep it positive. I'm just like, hey, thank you. You know, thank you for the insight. Thank you, like, yeah. uh, for letting me see it that way. Because, you know, if, you know, movement is medicine and it, whether you're moving or not, or as long as you're moving and you're, you're, you're creating your ripples in the universe and if somebody reacts to it, whether this way or that way, it's 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 something you know you're you're yeah. still touching with someone you know yeah. yeah good point i you know what i hadn't thought of it that way thank you mm -hmm. what they say you're like but you were touched because you spent the time to respond <laughs> dude thank you for that because that is one of the things that you're right as a people pleaser and wanting to be loved too much that i struggle with i'm i you have completely changed my way i'm gonna see that from now on yeah you gotta have both sides because there it, one couldn't exist without the other yeah all right random questions brandon these are just for fun i just throw yeah. them out there uh if you could have one superpower what would it be It'd probably be able to, uh, I don't know, man, that's a hard to, uh, what's it called? Superpower. 
to be able to be to what, what's it called when to be able to be in any place any uh any place in a, a split second uh so like teleportation yeah yeah uh, teleportation is that just because you you hate the flying and travel and tsa or and plus you now felt feel like i can help more people that way teleportation yeah yep. if you could have dinner with any one person living or not who would they be um probably napoleon hill and uh malcolm x uh, I, interesting so let's i'm curious why what about napoleon hill because i believe he's broken through like a like he's helped me a lot in my journey just um with his teaching and stuff and i would just want to know more yeah. you know i'm influenced by a lot of people i mean so many people to uh so many people i would want to have dinner with you know like tony robbins um napoleon hill uh Nivelle godard you know j uh, just just anyone you know um interested in in and uh elevating our consciousness yeah i think a lot of people sleep on napoleon hill and don't realize the influence of the work that he's done that has found its way into you know that lack of a better term self-help movement self-growth whatever you want to call it um and not gotten the credit for yeah exactly yeah all right uh let's say they are going going uh some company comes to you brandon and goes hey i want to license your life story as either a tv show or a movie who would you want to play adult you adult me yeah um probably this uh kid named takao he's okay. uh, from japanese and black okay i dig mm -hmm. it i mm -hmm. haven't heard of him i'll have to look him up but i think it'd be a pretty cool story man i think you got a great like netflix series there for something that would really help people you know Hey, I think it's it might be in the works, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you have a buddy that, that in your past that was like a six-two white guy that's a you know that's that, that's like hundred and eighty soaking wet, hit me up. I'll play that role. <laughs> okay, perfect. His name was Ben. All right, <laughs> <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I'll play Ben. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh heck! Uh, all right, last one for you here. This is kind of an interesting one that uh, some people surprisingly struggle with. Uh, um, especially being, you know, you've lived in isolation, but you're on a deserted island and you have one music artist greatest hits and one movie with you. What would they be? Uh, it'd probably be Bob, Bob Marley. And, uh, uh, Count of Monte Cristo. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I would, what, what, when did that movie get you? A long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Captain Crystal. It's like uh, one of my favorite movies, and it's uh, it's, it's inspiring. Yeah, it is a, a wonderful film for sure. Man, <laughs> I could go on and on about that. Now I was not expecting that, but uh, I know that we're running low on our time here. Uh, Brandon, okay. I like I, I like to leave the floor to to you. Anything that you want to lend for 
someone out there struggling, maybe they have a loved one that is that, you know, just some wisdom you want to pass along. I just want to say, you know, uh, thank you, Jason, for having me on uh, your podcast. And I would just want to say to people, like we started this interview, uh, the gratitude list. If you're, if you're struggling, you know, and have waking up in the morning, just feeling down on yourself, whatever, wherever you live, you know, um, the, the gratitude list is huge. I would definitely dive into meditation. If you need support, there's plenty of support groups out there uh, for just uh, women, just for men. So if you're struggling with substance abuse, like uh, drugs and alcohol or mental health, um, you know, there's plenty of resources out there. And if you would want my influence and help, you know, my company is uh, Westside Recovery. Um, our Instagram's The West Recovery. Um, our website's uh, westsiderecoverysd.com. For mental health, it's mhcsandiego.com. And you are not alone and you have support with whatever in life you're going through. And um, just know there's one fact in this world. There's nothing in this world you can do alone. So don't ever feel like you are. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.